Oh man, I'm so excited to meet Lestat. I can't believe we're actually at his house. I know, he's such a hunk. I wonder if he's a real vampire. All right, all right. I know you guys are pretty excited, but I gotta warn you. He's a little eccentric, all right? Just don't just don't go saying boo. Boo back. Oh, boss. Hey, didn't see you there. Boo back. All right. Well, you have fun. Wait, don't don't leave us here. Boo back. <laughs> <laughs> fantasy and horror fans and welcome to scares and satire the annual swords and satire special spooky season of episodes i'm your scary dungeon manager jamie mokul here with my terrifying co-hosts i'm chelsea hollowell here uh telemoskin in training seems like a tough life it's a glorified librarian <laughs> I'm Jack Olander, someone who just saw the coolest live concert ever. Oh, man. oh yeah, well, how was how was the music? Oh well, the first song was good, but it was really the performance. You know, it was a bit corny. Oh, <laughs> as you can tell, this week we are extra spooky because we have an extra spooky guest with us who you just heard the ghostly voice of. Whoa. Yup, that's right. I am Casey, a resident spooky bitch. <laughs> Every house needs one. Yup. I just got chills. I'm like, a, what's his name? I'm like Lestat. Richmond. I just live in the closet and sometimes I come out and you're like, oh, quick, shut the door. <laughs> you're just busy listening to Cradle of Filth. <laughs> And lots of corn. You haunt the back rooms and only emerge when you're looking for vegetables. <laughs> I think that's bunicula. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, this week we are talking about a especially gothic movie, I guess, or or something. It, at least it definitely thought it was. And that movie is 2002's The Queen of the Damned. So this is a movie directed by Michael Reimer. It was written by Scott Abbott and Michael Petroni. It's based on Anne Rice's novel of the same name, at least partially. Uh, it stars Aaliyah, Stuart Townsend, Marguerite Monroe, Vincent Perez, and features music by one and o the one and only Jonathan Davis of the band Korn. Who apparently went to school with my housemate's mom. Really? I thought I told you guys this. I guess not. I don't remember that. That is no, wild. Yeah, Maybe cool. you did, yeah. Katie's mom apparently went to school with Jonathan Davies. Wow, that is... First off, it's a trip to think that... <laughs> that somebody's mother went to school with <laughs> Jonathan Davis, but... <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I was like, wait, how old is your mom? <laughs> <laughs> like 18? Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, we have a lot to say about this movie, of course, but before we get too far into it, I'm sure Chelsea has a professional 
and well-prepared summary ready to go. That's right. Here's your summary for Queen of the Darned. Not damned. Queen of the Damned. Did you watch the wrong movie? (laughs) (laughs) She watched the kids' bop version. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is horrifying. (laughs) It's the same movie, but with bubblegum pop instead of, like... 2000s new metal. So the movie starts out with Lestat narrating. Of course. Uh, he's kind of sharing how he's kind of bored with unlife, undeath. Uh, vampirism? Immortality? So he just ends up taking a big, long nap. (laughs) Yeah, he sleeps for a hundred years. No, I think I know some people who could probably pull that off. And then he's drawn out of his shell by, of all things, new metal. (laughs) It's what pulled me out of my shell. (laughs) And, um... He refers to rock and roll bands as the new gods who are being worshipped, and he wants to become a celebrity. So, uh, fucking rock stars. So pretentious. <laughs> he basically acquires a band. He uh, crashes their... Uh, band rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. He crashes their band practice and basically just becomes their lead singer. He, yeah, I mean, I think adopts is a good word. He does kind of, like, take them on the way that one might, like, go to the pound and pick up some, like, pets. And that's much how he thinks of them. True. Uh, so he catapults the band to stardom uh, while being open about his true identity as a vampire. And that gimmick is partly what makes him so famous. But along the way, he's revealing vampy secrets through all the songs and there are some vampire covens that don't take too kindly to that those are our secrets we keep those (laughs) and this has also gotten the attention of some telemoscan scholars oh yeah of course those guys are always running around causing trouble for me too that you find them in all the nooks and crannies in your house and you turn on the lights they scurry for cover yeah, I know. It's so annoying. And they're always eating all the cheese out of our refrigerator and like... That's where all of it's gone. <laughs> with their little whiskers and their <laughs> and their snaky tails. Yeah. So the Telemoskins are basically an order of librarians that observe and record vampires in the supernatural. <laughs> Seemingly doing nothing with the knowledge as well. I mean, they are, I I hate to say this uh, as somebody with two degrees in anthropology, but they are basically anthropologists. Like, they go out, they learn about vampires, they write about it in books, and they don't do much besides uh, be happy that they have the knowledge and nobody else does. That's a solid description of academia. Yeah. Yeah. A scathing (laughs) indictment of my field. (laughs) All fields. All right. Oh, then we get a long sequence of Lestat's vampy background, how he became a vampire. In Spoilers, the... he was bitten. Yeah. He was an 18th century French nobleman, and he was bitten by a man 
or a vampire. A vamp man, they like to be called. Named Marius. And um, after he turned Lestat into a vampire so that he could teach him the newfangled technologies. <laughs> so uh, Lestat could teach Marius. Yeah, exactly. Because Lestat's very like high tech for the 18th century. Yeah, they're kind of a sad pair. Uh, he knows how buttons work, apparently, because his pants have a bunch of buttons on them. That seems inconvenient. So they're palling around in the Mediterranean, you know, drinking folks. They're drinking buddies. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm stealing Casey's uh, <laughs> joke. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. You did. Oh. <laughs> Somebody came up with it. <laughs> it was a good it. one. Thanks for the credit. <laughs> Um, Lestat learns some hard lessons about being a vampire. Like, you can never be known to humans, and you're basically all alone for all eternity. But we basically learn that that's bullshit, because, like, the first thing we see him do is join a band, and everyone loves him. Yeah. I guess it, he feels like it's an era where he can come out of the coffin and be himself. Hmm. Hmm. That that must not have any correlation to any other real life experiences. Something we definitely will not be delving more into later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we come back to the present day. The reason we got his backstory is because an order initiate Jesse to the Telemoskin order. Uh, she was reading his uh, journal. And so she was learning a bit about him. Dear diary, today Marius bit me and turned me into a vampire. It was all right. She figures out one of his favorite uh, old haunting grounds is the Admiral's Arms, a club in London. And so she sets out to meet him there. She has a run-in with some vampires. Lestat saves her ass from being drinking like a Slurpee. <laughs> and, uh, ah, blood Slurpee, my favorite flavor. They kind of, uh, he kind of bounces from there. He doesn't seem to like her very much. And, uh, she hasn't you know, given him any reason to like her very yeah, much. Yeah, she doesn't have very much charisma. Um, and then he goes with his band to LA. They're going to have a big concert in the desert outside of LA. And, uh, Jesse follows him because she's become obsessed with him. And her mentor in the order, David, tries to dissuade her from going because. He points out that she's obsessed with Lestat. And he's right. <laughs> and she's just kind of like, look, dude, I gotta go. See you later. And she's like, I know what I'm doing. And David's like, no, you demonstrably do not know what you're doing. <laughs> it's it, you, you never really feel like you understand what she wants, besides becoming a vampire. So before the concert, Marius shows up after 200 years of being away and confronts Lestat about being so open about their nature. Marius finally comes back from getting that pack of smokes he went out for 200 years ago. Yeah. Wait, but did did you mention the bit about Akasha? Not yet. Um, In the diary that Jesse reads, she reads yeah. about how Lestat, like, unearthed the ancient uh, Egyptian, I guess, mother of all vampires, the Queen of the Damned. She's just a statue in a basement somewhere. Yeah, she had become a living statue because she and her consort king couldn't stand the reality of their immortality. 
royalty just sitting in basements like statues doing nothing but taking the wealth from the peasantry bah. so marius confronts him saying that there are many covens of vampires that are going to be attacking him during the concert and that he's also his music has awakened akasha from her centuries long or millennia long sleep Lestat, be careful. Your sick tunes have drawn the attention of dark things. <laughs> uh, and he's like, basically just tells Marius to shove it and he doesn't give a shit. He he says, bring him on. He wants, he wants everybody, he wants to confront the world. He doesn't want to be in hiding. So let's fast forward to the concert. Jesse attends... And so do these other vampires that we've kind of gotten glimpses of before. It's Maharet's Coven, and they'll come into play a little bit more after the concert. But they're there to try to protect Jessie. They have a connection to her. And while Lestat is performing with his band, he's attacked by some of these rogue vampires that want to take him out for revealing their secrets. And... While he is defending himself, Marius comes to his aid and helps him fight on stage. And everybody there kind of acts like it's part of the show. Except for the <laughs> band. They fucking get the fuck out of there as soon as people start dying like sane people. They know it's all real. But the entire crowd is like, yeah, people literally dying. Woo! <laughs> Best concert i ever been to. <laughs> Must have been shown in America. Yep. As Lestat and Marius are being overrun by more and more vampires, Akasha shows up and just burns a bunch of fools, then takes Lestat to her and they fly off into the nighttime? Uh, just vague, whatever time. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's they're vampires and we don't know that uh, Akasha can be in the sunlight, but the other vampires can't be, so... It's got to be nice. Riding off, uh, riding off into the moonset. What a cliche! <laughs> yeah, she takes it. She takes him back to her, her Mediterranean condo or whatever mansion. Yeah, to the go bone zone to go. I have thought you were going to call it her sex dungeon. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hardly a dungeon. They just take a rose petal bath together. I'm like, that's pretty romantic, to be honest. Yeah, they don't even know each other that well. Dead human bodies. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. So while they're off um, boinking, <laughs> we get to learn more about Maharat's coven. They have taken Jessie back to her villa, and she reveals that Jessie is part of her human lineage that she's been tracking for centuries. And she says that's how she deals with eternity, is keeping track and protecting her human relatives. Honestly, same. <laughs> And they hatch a plot to kill Akasha because drinking the last drop kills a vampire and Maharet reveals that when Akasha is giving of her blood to someone else, she's vulnerable. And so they think they'll be able to attack her and take her on when, when she's in that state. And they don't really get a chance to go over how they're going to make all this happen. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, we're going to fight the like ultimate queen of the vampires, the most destructive force in the universe. Like we'll just wing it. 
pretty much. I mean, if you plan too much, there's more that can go wrong. Yeah, exactly. Never have a plan. That's my motto. <laughs> and how this podcast gets made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so while they're hatching their plots, Akasha basically is wooing Lestat. She shows him all the dead bodies and says, look upon our kingdom. And he's like a kingdom of corpses. And now he's kind of getting, he was all for it the night before when they were in the bone zone. But in the light of day, he's kind of looking at her. Uh, he's got, he's got post-nut clarity. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good word for it. I was going to say he's getting cold feet to go with his cold hands, but I think you win. Yeah. What have I done? And he's realizing that the path that he's on just leads to complete destruction. And he won't be able to enjoy the pleasures of life that he likes to enjoy if he continues on the path he's on. And suddenly Akasha just kind of shows up at Maharet's house while they're all planning there. And, uh... She basically just bursts in uh, like a boss and uh, demands their fealty. Royalty, man. When they aren't forthcoming, she asks Lestat to kill Jesse, who's still there with her, who turns out is her ancient, like many times over aunt, Aunt Maharet. So she's there chilling with her aunt. I think she's uh, like actually her many times over grandmother or something. It's not really clear. Yeah, she calls her Aunt Maharet. I don't know. They're about as related as two strangers. Yeah, that that's pretty much covers it. 2%. But Maharet apparently raised Jesse, but then Jesse has no like connection to her later until this moment when Maharet shows back up. Yeah, she wanted Jesse to be with her own kind, so I mean, and you know, if 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 you love something, set it free and if it's meant to be, it'll come back, right? So Maharet's prepared to defend Jesse. Jesse says, you know what? This is what I wanted all along, really. So I'm good with it. And uh, she walks over to Lestat. He drains her blood, pretends like he killed her. Then he drinks from Akasha's arm to gain full power. He's like leveling up. <laughs> and <laughs> Hold uh, up, guys. Let me just use this XP real quick. <laughs> She tells him to stop drinking because he's taking too much of her power. But then he kind of signals with a little bit of a saucy eye roll to the other vampires that he's got a plan or he's in on their plan somehow. And uh, she throws him off and all the other vampires attack her. She's killing fools until they've drained enough of her blood that they start to weaken her and they're able to fight back. And eventually they all just drain her dry until she becomes literal dust. I mean, like and, all and vampires, she becomes dust. Her death wind. scene kind of takes forever. But um, it was cool. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It's um, a cool shot. Yeah. It looks a lot like how Voldemort dies in Harry Potter. <laughs> hmm, very suspicious. <laughs> then Lestat hurries over to Jesse has her drink his blood so that she won't die. She becomes a vampire. Oh, boy. We're never going to hear the end of it now. Uh, this ends the human line uh, that Maharet was guarding all these years. So 
she's like, you know what? I'm I'm done. My will to live is gone. So she she's actually the one that kills Akasha. She drinks the last drop and she becomes a living statue, the next living statue. The new queen of the damned. <laughs> Roll credits. And we kind of get a epilogue scene where Jesse and Lestat visit her old mentor, David, of the Telemoskin Order. And she asks if he wants to see what it's like to be a vampire. And he's just kind of like, nah, stay back for me. I'm going to be forced to like do something drastic. I've got a stake and I'm not afraid to use it. Or, you know, he might just shiver and piss in his pants. <laughs> Same diff. You won't like it when I piss myself. <laughs> yeah, and then apparently, you know, Lestat is already over his ex-girlfriend, the Queen, and he's now holding hands with Jesse, and they're walking off into the not-sunset together. Yeah. The <laughs> Again, the nighttime. Yeah. 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 And for some reason, Mar uh, Marius shows up to, I guess, turn David or kill David? Not clear. Yeah. It's kind of like a little bit, uh, uh, it's played for a little bit of comedic effect, like, ain't I a stinker? I'm showing up unannounced. Oh, yeah, that's totally his, and like, whole look. they can just go wherever they want. They don't have that, uh... You have to be invited in. Yeah, yeah, they don't have that bit of lore. They they don't have to deal with those pesky rules. These are the kind of vampires who invite themselves in anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You don't have to let the right one in. The wrong one lets themselves in. Vampire joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so there's All your right. summary. All right. That's a great summary. That means it's time to head into the Delve. Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of the Queen of the Damned. Nice. And uh, Casey, you selected this movie for this week, so do you want to kick us off with the first bit? You know, honestly, I'm kind of struggling with this one because I feel like there was no character development in any of the characters, so it's Agreed. really hard to pull apart any... Um, sort of like themes especially like character-based themes um i was really struggling to find anything other than uh this felt very much like fanfic you know we did get a little bit of development with jesse's dreams and her um narration about her feelings but it was all delivered in such a bland monotone i wouldn't be surprised if you didn't pick up on it <laughs> another uh, or if it great... didn't make leave an impression is what i'm saying yeah. another good bit of evidence about casey's fanfic theory <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the act the actress who played jesse was not a very good one or maybe she was doing such a good job at playing a really really like underwhelming human being um, <laughs> the type of person <laughs> the type of person whose only ambition is to like get a famous boyfriend and like kind of let him like ride like ride the world for them yeah she's pretty right, much the or significant other at all she's she's pretty much the description of like every like uh 
Japanese girl manga character where she's right. like super average, underwhelming, really boring, and she gets like the super hot bad boy as her boyfriend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you were saying while we were watching it, like, why would he even be interested in her? <laughs> also, it's not even clear why she's interested in him because there's there's still not like enough narrative there to go off of like she is just a human being we know that her her aunt or like great 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 grandmom is a vampire who watches over her lineage um but uh but like jesse doesn't know that and so, like, maybe if they played up more into that idea of, like, she remembers sort of, like, these people in her life who are like vampires, but she's not sure, and that's why she wants to talk to Lestat, because she wants to know more about this, like, past of hers that she's not even sure actually happened, but that's not at all what she's about. She pretty much just shows up and is like, I don't know, I mean, he's kind of cute, and like, I read his diary, and he said he was really sad about killing that girl with the violin, so like, I kind of just want to like, be his girlfriend, and you're like, why? I can can help him, I can redeem him. (laughs) Yeah. He's a monster, but he's not a monster to me. Oh no, that was just it. She read his diary, and she, she got a crush on him from that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's a musician. That's probably a very entertaining read. Just say. But yeah, I'm curious what themes you guys picked up on because I was really struggling. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of hit a lot. I, I definitely the loneliness angle where Lestat mm. is like this kind of brooding, lonely character. Gee, what a surprise in like a super goth movie. Yeah. Um, and then he he wants to get into this world of, of rock and roll stardom. Like, everybody wants to fucking do that. And, you know, even that, while being adored is really good for somebody who's a total narcissist egomaniac like Lestat, he's still not satisfied because he doesn't build connections with anybody. He has people over, and he still seems to believe this line that Marius told him about not being able to connect with humans. So he just kills them instead of trying to have, like, a conversation with them. Or like you were saying when we were watching the movie, uh, creating his own coven, turning people into vampires and making his own friends. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, Maharet has like a whole team of friends who seems to be like her friends from thousands of years ago. And they all still hang out and get along and socialize. When you're yeah. a vampire, it's called a coven. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I thought we weren't supposed to say coven. Apparently. My, my oh, gal yeah. pals. <laughs> it's like a multi-gender gal pal group, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. But no, that's actually a good point. I can't believe I completely missed that. That was kind of the premise of, like, Lestat's whole BS. He says it in the beginning, like, I'm lonely. Um, and You like, were probably distracted by his leather pants. I was mostly distracted by how narcissistic he was. I just couldn't get past it. But now that you say that, I'm like, it's true. There was a There was a discussion about, like, you know, loneliness, the infinite feeling of loneliness when you're immortal. Um, but then yeah. also like, you know, that idea of that they're monsters. And even if they try to get close to humans, um, it won't work out because they're, they're monsters and they, they, they have to feed on humans. 
Um, but that's it's a pretty typical um, vampire uh, narrative, basically oh, yeah. the 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 loneliness narrative. But I think the thing that makes it very frustrating is that uh, Lestat has a lot of options, and instead he's like, I'm gonna join a rock band, become a rock star, and like try to get all of my vampire friends to hate me and then i'm gonna, I'm gonna alienate myself from all those around me exactly even while they adore me <laughs> you, yeah. you know what really like there's a scene that so highlights how ridiculous it is where they're doing the like press release or whatever and the band is in the room yeah. and lestat is just on a fucking camera like watching from his lonely like million dollar house it's like yeah go to the press junket like go yeah. meet some people maybe yeah. you'll like humans yeah maybe just hang out with literally anybody yeah it's like marius like fed him this idea that he can't have any relationships and he has let that control his life but then we literally see at the end of the movie maharet's coven who are like a social vampire group and not only that but she also cares for humans so it's like a thing you can do i mean i guess that is marius's failing which is that he's he kind of he's a bad teacher he teaches Lestat how to be a vampire and he basically tells him like you can't have compassion this is you know I know we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier in the the recap but this is obviously also a lot of times really synonymous with like homosexuality and like repression and you know I guess Marius is more of like the repressed gay man or the repressed vampire who's like, we can never be seen, no one can know who we are, you can never interact with anyone, you just have to suffer in silence and alone, and, you know, you can never come out, you can never have love, you can never, you know, be friends with anyone. And here you have Maret, is that her name? What was her name? Maharet. Maharet. You have Maharet, who has, like, a vaguely old... Egyptian name, but is very much a white woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Maharet, like you said, she has this whole like friend group and she cares for her family lineage, like her human family lineage. And she's like capable of uh, concern and compassion. And so it's just, just goes to show that, you know, this is probably a pretty good analogy for, you know, being gay or maybe trans or something like that and and feeling like you have to hide it versus feeling like you can you can be open and honest and and care for yourself and others yeah it's interesting actually that maharet's group are kind of somewhat diverse i mean they're not all just like one gender or ethnic identity or anything like they kind of run a little bit of a of a gamut there and and they are like i said they're kind of like a social circle who goes to concerts together at least when they're trying to find their ancient ancestor or i'm sorry their uh descendant who has gotten in with the wrong crowd and they try to be protective and and kind of show not just jesse but also lestat to some extent that he can have a different life that isn't quite so lonely and repressed as like Marius would have him believe. Yeah. Yeah. So zeroing in on the analogy to identity and 
belonging. I saw this as an analogy for basically owning your identity or, or fully claiming it, being able to embody your avowed identity, which is the identity that you take on for yourself. And Lestat wants to live his life in the open. He doesn't want to have to hide anymore. He doesn't want to have to distance himself or be so lonely and and kind of destitute. But like you guys said, he chooses all he makes all these decisions to kind of keep himself estranged from those around him. So that's kind of confusing. But I think the analogy still holds. I mean, he's Um, literally allowed his emotionally distant father to control him and he rebels against it in more trivial or like lashing out types of ways, but fails to see opportunities where he could make real connections with people and actually express an identity in a constructive way. I feel like it's funny because Lestat is basically going through his preteen phase and I was a preteen when I fell in love with this movie. (laughs) So I probably (laughs) related strongly to his incredibly narcissistic, you know, woe is me type mentality. I was like, yeah, bro, same. (laughs) Woe is we, dude. Woe is we. we. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, his mentor figure is the one who is indoctrinating him into this subculture you know it's it's into vampirism and how to be a vampire but you could take that and use that as an analogy for almost anything when you're realizing a part of yourself or acknowledging a part of yourself and trying to embody that as part of your identity and become a part of a culture a subculture i mean that was new metal for me so (laughs) I think another big thing, too, that Jamie had mentioned earlier, kind of as a joke, but, like, Marius leaves Lestat shortly after turning him into a vampire. Like, I think he turns him into a vampire and they maybe spend, like, a couple months, maybe, like, a year or two. I don't know. They don't really say how long it is, but based on, like, what they made it sound like, it wasn't that long before Marius, like, ditched him And it's a lot like having an absent father figure, like this person who's responsible for you, who basically gave birth to you in a way, you know, like just dips when, you know, Lestat finds Akasha's statue in the basement and he like drinks the blood of the statue. Um, And apparently that like stirs up some shit. And I don't really know what the problem was because they don't really make it 100% clear. Like, I guess, like, Marius was like, oh, no, don't wake Akasha up. I I think that was what he was worried about. Um, He breaks an unspoken taboo and then immediately flees from his son and, like, ditches his his only family, basically. So we get a very clear picture of how Marius is afraid of intimacy and connection, even though he clearly wants it. He comes back to protect Lestat later, but he just abandons him for hundreds of years. Like, Hey, I made you a vampire. Like everything's going to be fucked for you now. And you got to eat people. But as soon as you do like one transgressive act, you're done. You're dead to me 
for a hundred, you know, a hundred, two hundred years. Yeah. He, he turned Lestat so that Lestat could be his companion and then he just abandoned him. So that is one of the things that he and Jesse have in common. They both feel like they've been rejected or abandoned by their family members. But they never really bond over that directly. No, they don't bond over really anything. They don't talk really at all about who they are as people to each other. Jesse, I guess, read his diary, so I feel like maybe she doesn't need to, but Lestat doesn't know anything about Jesse. Like, ugh, I just... It's so They're hard to stand up for this movie because there's just so... Like, we we are doing a lot of lightsabering here. <laughs> <laughs> she is alive, and that's what he admires about her. Until she's dead, and then he admires something else. But we don't know what yeah. that is. I mean, he likes Who her knows? because she's weak and frail, and she's gonna die a horrible death. I mean, oh, he tells her that. God, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. He's basically like, you're a wimpy virgin, and I think that's pretty hot and i'm like you're kind of gross <laughs> yeah in the end they walk off into the city together but it's like you know that a year later their relationship just disintegrates <laughs> oh yeah jesse's <laughs> nothing <laughs> jesse um, jesse is nothing of what lestat thinks she is and lestat is not at all what jesse thinks he is so i mean they are going into this relationship with no real conceptualization of who the other person is yeah i mean they're basically a both seventh graders she like, stopped reading his journal at a very inopportune moment because she missed all of the section when he lived in Louisiana was it? Yeah, what the the interview with the vampire uh, part of his life? Yeah, where he's a a horrible uh, being and doesn't give a shit about anybody else except for himself and just is a mass murderer. Oh, yeah, okay. She, he, so he exactly as he is in this movie, <laughs> he never confesses. I have to warn you. At one point, I was Tom Cruise. <laughs> Wait, I thought he was played by Brad Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt was the other one. Oh, okay. Was yeah. he Marius? No. Oh. No, he was a vampire. I forget his name, but he was some uh one that Lestat turned. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize this was literally the same timeline as Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. Yeah, Lestat, I mean, it's the same character. They're all based on Anne Rice's books, and there was one more, but also this movie leaves out basically the most important plot from the book the queen of the damned which is about uh maharet and her twin sister and that is just completely absent in this movie yep and that's all i know about it yep. uh yeah i mean i know casey you were saying before that would have been a much in more interesting plot yeah i feel like maybe we could touch on that later if there's still the sequence about um sequels we do that uh, as a full episode the that's next a, Okay, next that's week. what I thought. Okay. Rewriting history, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we changed it. Which, and we might do more of a spinoff thing since there actually is a sequel to this in whatever the other book is called. I have no idea what the third book is. Oh, I don't know. There's not a movie about it. <laughs> 
No, because I don't think this movie did very well. No. What are you talking about? It was a hit for me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you spend uh, $100 million going to see it? (laughs) Uh, I don't even know if I saw it in theaters because it might have been rated R. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's rated R. We, Chelsea and I, definitely saw it in theaters. Yeah. And and we owned the DVD until my computer's disk drive ate it. Tonight. (laughs) Wait, for what purpose is this film rated R? Uh, Almost nudity? They say fuck a lot. Yeah, I don't think Aaliyah owns a shirt, so that's probably got to be an R rating right there. But there's, like, no boobs in it. (laughs) There's a lot of male nipples. Though. Yeah, very okay. risque. Yeah, but I, I think male stat- nipples are okay. Yeah. For I don't know, yeah. I never know how that shit works. Oh, dude, you should have seen. Uh, there were a few shots uh, where I saw Lestat shirtless and was just like, "Hot damn, what's going on?" <laughs> so this is very important. This movie is rated R yeah. for, according to the box that I'm holding for the movie in my hands right now, vampire violence. Nice. Okay. <laughs> nice. Which I didn't violence. realize was its own category, but yeah, now we know. I didn't either. Wow. That's a big spoiler, I think. They were like, this is some kink shit right here. We can't have this. Oh, yeah, it's true. We should get into that. Um... I, I just want to read you guys this review of the movie real quick to just kind of spur your uh, inspiration. Erotic, scary, gothic, and exciting. <laughs> Move over, Dracula. <laughs> the queen has arrived. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I do true. not think of this movie when I hear that. All of the vampires act like they are made of pure sex and want to <laughs> oh be drenched God. in blood at all times. Blood and other bodily fluids. Oh, boy. And um, they all move around, especially uh, Akasha, in a very serpentine manner. I mean, they got somebody who was renowned for being an excellent dancer to play the role. Like, you might as well utilize that talent. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you don't make a Jackie Chan movie where Jackie Chan doesn't do stunts. You don't make an Aaliyah <laughs> movie where Aaliyah doesn't dance. I mean, it worked out pretty well in all the dance scenes uh, that we got in the Admiral's Arms. Uh, it felt like a goth club to me. People were just kind of like holding each other and shuffling around slowly. Uh, That's been my experience going to goth clubs. <laughs> it's like a funeral also. <laughs> Same difference. I think that's the point, right? <laughs> the overlap is basically, I mean, the Venn diagram is is a perfect circle. Which of the but, band you might hear when you go to a goth club. <laughs> All of their costume, all of the vampire costumes were pretty cool, I gotta say, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, it's like the height of, like, high-end, early aughts, goth, like, lip service and dogpile and all the other, like, well-known, like, stuff that you couldn't find a hot topic. This stuff was far too fancy for that. (laughs) You could maybe find some of it in Hot Topic. Yeah. Yeah. The, like, knockoff versions of it. That used to be my go-to place. Hot topic. Yeah, same. I, I think it was for all of us, except Jack. <laughs> you know, I think it's neat. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that right there explains why it was not his go-to place. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's neat. 
quirky <laughs> when i was 17 it was like they get me yeah <laughs> and it's like no they just get your money <laughs> yeah yeah with those 50 dollar trip pants oh man i i own way too many pairs of those 50 dollar trip pants me too and they often made me trip <laughs> yeah yeah that, i mean that's where they got their name from right one could only imagine with all of the straps and buckles yeah i regularly would like take a desk across the room with me when i tried to get out of the chair you know because no. the chairs are attached to the desk and you like sit down you go to get up and all the straps are attached to the chair so i just like walk to go get up and the whole fucking desk would come with me shut up i'm dark and brooding yeah i'm spooky okay fuck you guys yeah yeah that's great. I used okay. to um I used to wear the ones with all the zippers and then when I did like backyard wrestling, I would come down on one of the oh, zippers and it would God. hurt like fuck. Yeah, no, don't do that. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, my mom Jackson. was like, You're gonna tear up my leather couch. <laughs> you don't get me, Mom. Yeah. I wanna be spiky. So fuck your leather couch. <laughs> what about my leather heart? I feel like we've got immensely off topic. I forget what we were supposed to be talking about. Hot topic. Immensely oh, hot yes, topic. Oh, yes, yes. Jack, what were you yeah, I think it's still very much relevant yeah. to the yeah, film. Yeah, it works. Uh, so I had to Google what trip pants were. Wow. Right there, right? <laughs> Should I have just said the stuff Jeff Hardy wears? Would that have helped? <laughs> Maybe. But... You know, they, they look good, they look complicated, but the first thing I saw when I searched it on Google... They look good, the, they look complicated. Oh, God. No, I get it. Putting buckles all over the place is cool. I get it. But uh, the first thing that came up when I Googled trip pants... Was these sweatpants that have Nicolas Cage's face on it? Oh my oh god. god! His mouth and is those right aren't at the trip pants. <laughs> but yeah, I, but right I need a pair crotch. of those. I'm like, that's not what I asked for, but it's what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna have to post an image of that. Yeah, that's going yeah. on to uh, the Instagram for sure. Mm -hmm. So just one other theme that i really want to just touch on real quick i know that we don't usually do this but it's this thing called class struggle oh i see <laughs> no, I, I feel like that. i feel like the the average class isn't even represented here it's just a bunch <laughs> of fucking like royalty and like old money it's exactly just, it's just Ineff endless ineffectual, old money ineffectual vampires who just leech the blood, the lifeblood of the common people, and we're nothing but chattel to them. What yeah. I love, what I love is if you think of Lestat as like new money and all the other vampires are like old money, and Lestat's Ow. like, let me wave my bling everywhere. And the old vampires are like, dude, cut it the fuck out. Like, yeah. we like to be discreet. We don't like people to notice us. We don't like to be flashy because as soon as we get flashy, then people start to come for us and they want to cut off our heads. So we, we try to keep it on the DL. We're rich. We keep all of our rich shit on us, but we don't show anyone. 
and and meanwhile Lestat's like I'm literally a fucking celebrity (laughs) you know so like I feel like that's like the perfect example of like old money being like oh he's so gauche I mean literally Marius says to him like in order to find you I looked for the most gauche house on the block yeah that's true I mean it's all about you know keeping that shit in your chateau like that's where you can show it off in the chateau you're good out on the streets keep that shit on lock oh yeah just you know so actually the real thing that i wanted to address was fame and how fame becomes this addictive drug-like obsession for some people that is like mm, that is lestat's driving impulse is to become beloved by all these people he doesn't care about the people who he wants to love him he only cares about receiving the gratitude from everyone he can and there's this line in the movie about how he's become bigger than elvis you know he's just wallowing in this obsessive culture that has idealized him i mean he is basically as popular in the fiction of this movie as like death clock is in metalocalypse like there's a cult that obsesses over him and fawns over him and he fucking loves it but then he's kind of willing to give it up so quickly at the end i guess he's seen what this addictive quality is doing to him and there's just it it isn't earned at all there's no character development that really makes it feel like it is earned that he would reject the power that akash is offering him i agree honestly it feels like he is all about having all these people worship him all these people love him and then he like turns around on it but it's not really 100% clear why the hell he would turn around on it other than the fact that she's like yeah in order for us to rule the world we have to kill everybody and I guess he was like wait no I don't want dead people to worship me I want living people to worship me (laughs) but like he's still it's still very narcissistic like the whole thing is still very narcissistic so I was surprised that he didn't just decide to continue being a rock star because I feel like that was perfect for him. He was like, I just get to, you know, everybody gets to worship me. And, it's perfect. Uh, and I don't have to care about who they are. Yeah. Honestly, the part of the movie where Lestat seems the most comfortable and himself is when he and Akasha are leaning into their relationship and just wallowing in their opulence and excess. And that is, we were saying this while watching the movie that seems like a more fitting relationship for both of them and kind of feels like where the movie should go based on the setup. And just way more interesting too. We don't get to know much about her character, about like her being a queen of Egypt or what her plans would actually be aside from killing a bunch of people. Lestat, like you were saying, just kind of no characters were really developed in this film, and I think that also includes Lestat. He's a very flat character. It would have been way more interesting to see him disagree with her plan more along the way, rather than him just being like, meh, it sucks. (laughs) Why? I don't like it. He got that post-nut clarity, that's why. (laughs) Exactly. A nut, but at what cost? (laughs) 
Yeah, and, uh, in, in in the middle of the night, he was like, oh my god, yeah, rule the world, yeah, kill everyone, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and then wakes up <laughs> in the morning, and he's like, wait, if everyone's dead, how are they gonna love me, though? And she's like, yeah, no, we just kill them, that's the point, and he's like, I, mm, I, mm, no. No. <laughs> and it was like less than 24 hours that he completely 180s on her yeah he, he yeah. had a, he had a night of rough partying and and everything and then the light of day really did change it for him yeah i mean i i'm i'm pretty sure the message is just that he is a guy that craves human connection and he wants to fall in love and he wants to fall in love with someone who he doesn't have to kill and that's why he goes with jesse but that's so poorly explained when she's like yeah let's rule the world all we gotta do is kill people. He's like, that, that plan sucks. <laughs> I'm out. It's like, I'm gonna oh. murder you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's just a fucking bridge too far. Even though he literally murders a woman to show Jesse why she doesn't want to be a vampire. And then she is, she agrees. Like, I don't want to be a vampire anymore. And then at the end of the movie, he turns her into a vampire. She's like, okay, this is cool now. I know. It's like, but We love being vampires. But yesterday you didn't want to hurt anybody and you hated this. Like you, She should hate his guts. People are flip-flopping all over the place. That's because movie. there is no character, no solid character in any of this movie. Like, nobody is made of substance. I, You know, I think I might know what it is. And it's like what you said. Uh, Casey, that this is fan fiction. She would have written better character development and plot if she wasn't masturbating with the other hand while <laughs> writing the script. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that seems like a perfect time to segment into evil, stupid, or misunderstood. This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the primary antagonist of the film and determine if they were just misunderstood, or maybe they were super evil, or were they just stupid? So, Chelsea, you have something that you want to cover at the top here of this segment. Yeah. I actually want to build off of the joke that Jack was making before. and um kind of bring up Anne Rice as the primary antagonist oh! of, of the films. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know if I know enough about Miss Rice to say anything here, but let's see what she got. I think in general, it's it's just stupid. Um... <laughs> Get fucking um, nae nae let me, let me just Let me just call our lawyers real quick. <laughs> And um, Rice, please come on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, come defend yourself. Who knows? Maybe None the of... book is good. To be fair, this movie apparently is is very um, loosely based <clears throat> on on the book that it's uh, named for. It's mm. true. The books could be better than the movies, but um, perhaps it's Scott she's... Abbott and Michael Petrani who are to blame. Yeah, but she is the one who inspired this mess. 
Yeah. And so she's going to have to take responsibility for it. How could she not foresee the consequences of her actions? She didn't really want this movie to be made, uh, just for the record. Uh, she was trying oh. to get the rights back to either like produce her own film or something else. And the studio was sitting on the script for a while. So the movie was rushed into development so they could keep the rights to make it. Okay. Oh, like Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. So so she really didn't want this. I mean, I don't know how she felt after it was finally made, but that was like the lead up to it. Also, she uh, went back hardcore on all of her novels and became a born-again Christian after yeah. the fact. And she wanted to basically disavow them. And I don't know if she was like going so far as to want them to be pulled from all the shelves but she basically wow. wanted to remove herself from the series yeah and i think since then she's kind of come back from that but she didn't quite go down the jk rowling uh route but you know wow the jk route <laughs> oh God. jk 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 <laughs> i like to think she had a really cringy encounter with one of her art with one of her novels it was just like, oh God, what has my life become? And had to do I need a to full find God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cringe. It was too strong. But if we're talking about the characters of the film, I'd actually be kind of hard pressed to determine who the primary antagonist is. Yeah, they all kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the framing of the movie has us think that it's Akasha. Although Aaliyah is also billed as the star of this movie, even though she's barely in it. Yeah, and she's also the most amazing in it. Oh, I mean, 100%. Yeah. I love her. She shows up and kicks ass and takes names, and honestly, she's the only one whose motive makes any sense because it's consistent. Her motive yeah. is to rule the world and kill humans, and it never yeah. changes. She's powerful and... She, you know, she always talks about my king, my king, my king. But let's be real. She's a real king. Like, she's oh, she's yeah. the HBIC, the head bitch in charge. Like, nobody, you don't fuck with her. There is no such thing as someone who is above her, you know? So. Yeah, the, she, like, the idea for her of having a king is kind of like having just somebody there to kind of nod his head and agree with whatever she says. It's somebody for her to boink. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is just a body. Yeah, she calls him her consort. That's basically what that means. She yeah. wants a power bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, my king. And then later she's like, my consort. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess those words are synonymous for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, look what she did to the last king when we saw that statue with the neck torn out. Yeah. She did that. That was her. <laughs> she bit right through the marble, man. That's yeah. wild. That was... She's the original uh, lady boss. Yeah. <laughs> I feel Hashtag like, lady boss. I feel like she's kind of modeled after... I wouldn't say she's modeled after Lilith, but I feel like she's got that similar, like, bad girl vibes that's like, you know, I'm just gonna go, go my own way. Sort of what men go their own way. This is woman goes her own way. Just murders. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Her ways is very bloody. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think she's just straight up evil, but 
in a way, I almost find that commendable compared to everybody else in the movie who makes no sense. I mean, like you said, she's very consistent. You could say that it's stupid to want to rule a world with no humans, but I think that really she just wants to kind of... I think she knows that humans will continue to procreate and everything, and she can just feed on them willy-nilly. It's a little stupid, maybe, because she could probably imagine that at some point the humans might be able to rise up and kill her, but I think that she has so much faith in her own power that she doesn't think it'll ever happen. And she's kind of evil in both human and vampire terms, like, or perspectives. I mean, from a human perspective, she's she kills kind, us. She's kind of a, a monster who kills people. Um, Probably the most evil thing that many people can imagine. Far beyond what she needs yummy, for yummy. actual sustenance, you know? And then in vampire terms, she's a, a cannibal, so... A chaotic cannibal. That's, yeah, that's kind of evil, too. Yeah. Just no good. She's just evil, evil. Like, on the D&D chart, she's just evil, evil. <laughs> Her intersection yeah, is evil, well, chaotic evil. evil yeah, <laughs> true evil. Yeah. yeah, true evil, I like it. Yeah. Just says, whoa, that's a lot of evil. Yeah. Demons are like, oh man, we've got a code at least. (laughs) Lestat is like not chaotic. I guess he's more of like neutral evil because he's like self-centered evil. So it's not even based on laws. It's just based on like he's self-centered. And he has the capacity to show restraint. He doesn't like to, but Marius did teach him not to... I guess take the last drop, which is what would like cause him to go insane or something. No, no it that's kills you. Preservation, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's self-preservation. Okay, well. Yeah. So I mean, he never uh, kills himself eating somebody. So I guess he's got a little bit of control. Uh, he's not stupid. I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely not stupid. He's kind of a manipulator, and yeah, I I think more than anything, he's just. Probably neutral evil. Wait, are we doing? We're not doing neutral evil. We're talking about, but he's evil. He's definitely pure evil. Yeah. He might be a little bit stupid. I don't know. I, I don't know if his plan works super well to start a fight with a bunch of vampires when he does not seem to be an especially proficient fighter. He's okay. He can do his little flippy matrix yeah. barrel roll yeah. thing. But, you know, if more vampires showed up and, I mean, if Marius didn't come, I think Lestat would have just been killed in the desert in the concert. I think yeah. I think if you're if you're thinking about it in terms of like, was his plot to like, he didn't really have a plan. He was just like, I'm going to call all the vampires out of the, you know, out of the dark or whatever. And then what? And then you're all going to live. So that that plan was stupid. Like his plan to make all of the vampires come out of the coven or come out of the the closet or the casket or whatever the fuck they're in. Um, the coffin. Yes! Oh, oh my god. Yeah. All That's so good. I'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> to get all That's of them awesome. to come out of the coffin and, like, show themselves. That backfired pretty epically. Um, but, so the plan was stupid. But he's still an evil person, whether or not his plan was stupid. You know what I mean? Like, if we're talking about just the motives for the movie, stupidity. But if we're talking about him as a person, evil and narcissistic. 
I would say that tracks across movies. <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much is consistent. Yeah, it's just, he was so bummed out and just kind of directionless. But in a way that was destructive to everybody. Like you were saying, he was just calling out vampires. He's like, yo, we exist. Fuck you if you don't want to reveal yourself. Ah, right? And then he's also like, yeah, and I'm not doing this for humans either. I drink two of you after every concert. I want love, but instead I'll just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Who are you trying to please? Myself, but I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. Yeah. He he doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think the screenwriters are just idiots and don't know what to do with him. That's fair. And then, uh, I don't know, I feel like we could evaluate Marius. Marius is probably um, lawful evil. I feel like he's, he's definitely still evil. Definitely. But he's got rules. He sticks by his rules. I mean, even when Lestat's like, why don't we just let everybody know who we are? Like, and and I feel like that's a valuable, like, conversation to have as vampires every couple hundred years. Sorry. Yeah, kind of, like, reassess where you're at. Yeah, just be like, do we still want to be hiding? How do we feel about this? Do we, do we feel like we could come out now? And, uh, and, I mean, and, I feel like today, like, 2020, this is the time that vampires should just be like, guys... Here we are. Like, you've got so much worse, like, just hanging out. Like, look at us. We're not even that bad. Yeah. And now, now we can sue for rights. <laughs> in rewriting history, I really want to put in, like, a really bashful vampire. They're like, should we reveal ourselves to the world? No. 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 I'm too shy. I'm too shy. I couldn't. Stop. <laughs> now let me eat on this person's throat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I feel like I feel like, you know, that's a valuable conversation to have and and Marius is just like, nope, according to my code, we do not do that and we will never do that and I'm not even going to think about it. Just no. You know, so I feel like he's, he's got very his, set in his ways. Yeah, he's got his like rule book, his like rules to live by and he does not does not err from that. Yeah, he just he lacks the flexibility that Lestat has, but in being flexible, Lestat is also very easy to manipulate and prone to flights of fancy. Yeah. Oh, super prone to flights of fancy. All right. Well, I mean, I think we kind of covered like the main antagonist of the movie. Um, sometimes, or we just started doing a new segment called Good, Great, or Terrible, but I think uh, Jesse's not even that interesting enough to go into. Yeah. So. Why don't we head to the bounty board? You awaken from your hundred-year slumber in your velvet-lined coffin. Stretching out your sore vampiric body, you lift the lid and stretch out your aching vampiric body. Before your eyes, a mist begins to take form, and within those forms, there are letters that read bounties? This week, Swords and Satire is sponsored in part by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Now, I gotta tell you, Audible isn't just some company we know nothing about who wants us to show their products. Nope. 
all three of the satirists have been using Audible since before we even started Swords and Satire. At this point, I've got a pretty impressive collection of audiobooks that I love, and I'm always looking forward to getting my monthly Audible credits because I know I'm going to get something new to enjoy while I'm driving, working around the house, or just staring into the void waiting for Krom to call me to his great mountain. And if you head over to audible.com swords and begin your free 30-day trial, you can help fund this show and start your own audiobook collection, which might even eventually rival the stores of knowledge from the Great Library of Alexandria. Sorry, too soon? Now, since it's the spooky season, and you are definitely a film buff, since you listen to this show, you could check out Shock Value by Jason Zinneman. It's about how some of the greatest horror movies of the 1970s were made, and the influence they've had on filmmaking and our culture. Chelsea and I listened to Shock Value together and learned so much about visionary directors like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, and Brian De Palma, and it inspired us to go back and start re-watching classic horror movies like Halloween and Alien. But Audible isn't just a great source of audiobooks. Oh no. They have podcasts, like ours, comedy, original content, and more. There's something on Audible for everybody. It's also super convenient. You can download titles to your device so you can listen offline, which is really good for me because I'm often listening while working in the yard and my Wi-Fi sucks. And you can also listen across multiple devices without losing your place, which is also helpful for me because I have a bunch of different places I listen to Audible from. Are you convinced yet? I know you are. So head over to audibletrial.com swords right now to start your free 30-day trial Get a credit for a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you cancel your membership. Not that you're going to want to. You'll also get an exclusive wellness guide and an email reminder before your trial ends. And after that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you get a credit for an audiobook every month. When you sign up for your free trial, you also help us keep the torches lit at Castle Satire. So once again, that's audibletrial.com swords. And now, we head to the smithy. Welcome to the smithy, where we forge a rating for the Queen of the Damned after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Casey, as our guest, would you like to go first by sharing your epic moment or feature and then giving it a rating between one and ten fangs? Yeah, so um, epic feature. Uh, I was a pretty big fan of uh, Akasha doing anything, but especially mm-hmm. Akasha when she was like in stone form and how she was moving and manipulating things, and then apparently she like resurrected from stone form and just bit the shit out of the king's neck and bounced which i thought was really cool yeah that was all nice um a rating this is so hard because like like 11 year old me thought this movie was the tits like (laughs) just probably 13 out of 10 you know like (laughs) an auspicious number oh yes and also probably roughly the age that i was when i when i was in love with this movie but um 
these days I'm like, wow, there's so much bad about this. You know, I enjoyed the music still. Um, Which means you're still 13 at heart. It's it's a great soundtrack. And even though I'm not into corn anymore, I really think that Jonathan Davis did a good job with this. I will yeah. say the lyrics were really fucking corny, but I, overall I thought it sounded pretty good um, and went well with the mood <laughs> of the movie. Um, but, uh, oh, oh, I made the corny joke and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, like, like, oh, the movie is just so bad and I hate every character in it. Except for probably <laughs> Akasha, who's like, I'm gonna kill everyone. I'm like, please fucking do. Um, Wait, what about what about Jonathan Davis as the ticket scalper? Oh at the my show? god, that was such a great part. Okay, he can live and Akasha, just him and Akasha together. But I mean, he looks like a vampire too. So. Uh, he looks like someone who tells you he's a vampire and then invites you back to his house to come see his fangs, and you're not sure if he's serious or not. Um, or in his case, you see all of his trophies from actual serial killers. Oh, true. Yeah, no. Hmm. Nope, not doing that. Anyway. That's um, quirky. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's an interesting way to describe it. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say like a three fangs like Ooh, out of ten. Ouch. Yeah, it's a... An awkward number of fangs to have. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Two vampires, one had a fang knocked out. So yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah, it's it just one fits, weird one in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like... Just for the listeners, it. Casey put her finger up to her mouth to indicate <laughs> one goofy little fang. <laughs> but the finger wiggled, which doesn't yeah, make yeah. any sense, but whatever. Yeah, so three three fangs out of ten. I just it's so bad. It's so I'm so angry that there there's no character development whatsoever. All right, that that's totally fair. Yep. Chelsea, how about your epic moment or feature and your rating? So I was sitting here like, oh shit, I have to come up with something for this movie. And I was like, oh fuck, what am I going to say? And then I was like, oh wait, there is something. There is something that I liked. Um, <laughs> One thing. <laughs> um, so I have an epic feature as well. Uh, it was the effects, the special effects mm, for the... Mm -hmm fast vampire movements not the flying the fast vampire running that was actually pretty good it seemed like they tried to keep it really simple they didn't try to go all out and like use too much cg they showed some of the people running and they like just kind of skipped some frames and then had a blur effect and it actually worked really well, and it it looked really cool. Mm -hmm. And um, that you could tell there were some practical elements to it that really helped make it more believable as you're watching it. So that actually was a pretty cool part of the movie. I always like it when films mix uh, practical effects with CG. It it just gives it so much more of a lived-in, visceral feeling. Yeah. Um. All right. So a rating. Um. I gotta go even. I think I'm gonna... I just can't do an odd number. <laughs> because of the metric that we're using of fangs? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with four out of ten fangs for this one. Uh, 
I mean, I think the awkward hanging thing makes sense for the quality of this movie, but um, I, I just couldn't do it, so I'm going to go with four out of ten. Fangs. It's completely subjective. <laughs> yeah. I feel like all we that says everything. <laughs> okay, great. Jack, your epic moment or feature and your rating? Of course. What is the main vampire's name again? <laughs> it really left that big of an impression on you, huh? <laughs> I knew it until right before I had to speak. Lestat. The oh, yeah, vampire Lestat. The vampire Lestat. Also the name All of right. his band. Very cool. Alright, so my epic feature was Lestat's inspiration. Right? And let me explain. Rock and this. roll, man. I yeah, I was captivated right from the beginning when he's like, I put myself into a death-like sleep, but something fucking radical woke me up. <laughs> and you just see the <laughs> casket sliding open with the rock music. I'm like Holy shit, Lestat is epic. (laughs) And then you see him, like, appear to the band, and he's like, I'm the vampire Lestat, and it's time to get famous, bitches. (laughs) Right? And we see in the flashback how he wants to bond with the musicians who are playing the violin and some other guitar-like instrument, a lute, maybe, I don't know. But he keeps connecting to music right and then when he meets jesse outside of that club she she tells him like oh that one song you always play redeemer yeah references the violin chick that you wrote about in your diary and later when he was at home he was like ah she got me she pulled at my heartstrings and uh you see him kind of being like Profoundly touched and inspired by music in the beginning and how it is the force that helps him connect to other people and kind of come back into the world, feel alive, that sort of thing. He used to play violin a lot more back in the day. And the second half of the film that just kind of falls off, they don't really keep using it, but I thought that added a lot of character early on. He had passions and it like it made him feel deeply in a lot of different ways. That was cool. But yeah, it was underutilized like a lot of things. And uh I had to think of that while Casey was talking. Uh <laughs> so I was originally going to give it 3, but that that kind of inspired me to bump it up to 4 fangs. 4 out of 10 fangs cuz there was something there. I can get behind some passion. Nice. I can connect to it. I think really it's just that Jack is obsessed with uh, shirtless vampires, and I'm pretty sure that we're going to end up uh, seeing Jack dressed like Lestat next week for Halloween. Probably. God, I'd better start exercising. Oh, what are you talking about? (laughs) Lestat didn't have any muscles at all. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And actually, so this is going to be coming out on Halloween. Oh. Yes. Oh, epic. Great. Uh, but yeah, when I picture the three fangs, it just I imagine Rhinocotherium, the elephant ancestor. You got two tusks on top and the bottom lip has a tusk also. Oh, God. You just use it like some sort of horrific monstrosity. That's exactly how I would describe this film. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. That was perfect. It's some. It's hey, want to watch this movie, uh, Queen of the Damned? Oh yeah, sure. Oh fuck, what is that? It's a horrific monstrosity. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why? Why are you doing this to me? You. What about you, Jamie? What was your epic moment or feature and rating out of, for this movie? I am so glad you asked me what my epic moment or feature and rating for this movie, The Queen of the Damned, is going to be. Because... <laughs> Are you emulating Jesse from the film? <laughs> yes, I am. I am, I am in, in full-on Jesse mode. This is how... I thought, he, I thought you were thinking of it as you were saying it like that thing oh, no, that people do on tv shows where they're like i will tell you what i feel about this thing and <laughs> i feel like it is and they're just buying time no no I, I was just being a butt i, I knew exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> Tra -la -la. i do like how it sounds like jesse though uh no my epic feature you guys probably already know is roger lestat's like oh, manager yeah. oh yeah or like mm -hmm. the guy whose job it is to bring Lestat people to eat, which has got to be just horror. Like, talk about <laughs> you talk about people who have jobs that are like dangerous <laughs> or or whatever. Yeah. Like this guy literally has to find young women for Lestat to fucking murder, and yeah. just has to like go home every night and live with that. Yeah. And, and just cope with it. Sleep and, on his pile of money while he breathes. I mean, he probably does okay, but I think it's really telling that later on, when Jesse shows up at Lestat's place with another woman, and Lestat just dismisses the other woman who comes with her, and Roger's like, hey, it's okay. You're better off this way. That, to me, like opens all these doors of intrigue where I need to know more about Roger's life and what is going on in his head. <laughs> I need the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead for Roger. Yeah. Like, what is he doing when Lestat's not around? He's, yeah, he's reaping the benefits. So he is implicated in all of Lestat's crimes, but he's clearly not, like, fully okay with them. And he is not doesn't seem like a monster they didn't get somebody to be like really creepy and like a henchman they got a guy who's like a business major probably he's like okay i got this job with this rock guy out of out of college that's fine like i've done i've done some other things like this it's not a big deal he finds out what he's doing is like i can't i can't keep working for you and then lestat just like writes him a million dollar check right like what if i give you this like Fuck, I gotta put my kids through school. I mean, Jamie, business majors are, like, the most evil people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Fuck him. Fuck Roger and fuck everybody who's in that field. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Jamie, what would your rating be? How many my fangs? My rating, I was also gonna give this movie four out of ten fangs. Uh, I have a very soft spot in my heart for it. Yeah. It draws yeah. me back to a time I, I was super into this type of music that's in the movie. I The aesthetic totally worked on me in 2002. This was half of my life ago, just for the record. Yeah. yeah. 18 years ago, I saw this movie with Chelsea in the theater. 
I didn't love it, but I really liked it. I got super into the soundtrack. I was super into Jonathan Davis. I loved it, dude. And all of like all the other musicians who sing on the soundtrack, like Dave Dryman from Disturbed, one of my favorite bands from that time. Uh, Wayne yeah. Static from Static X. All these bands that I was really into. It just, it worked. And it's not a great movie, but I think it's one that I would advise people to watch if you are okay with a not great movie that you can totally watch and make fun of with your buddies and just have a good time like the four of us did. Just kind of making fun of everything that goes on and the cheesy dialogue and the wooden delivery and some kind of competent filmmaking in the visual effects and cinematography. So yeah, four out of ten fangs. That's my final offer. Yeah. I I just want to share that I also had a lot of fun watching it with you guys. Yeah, yeah. same. And like, I think that the movie did a good job at like packaging an aesthetic. And, Absolutely. you know, like mm-hmm. the visuals, mm-hmm. the... I, I, I watched a making of of the movie i think it's actually on the dvd you have it was on my dvd which (laughs) of course i also had a dvd but um the making of and they talk about the uh the concert and they basically had to like get all these like goths to go to this concert um and it's it it was like an insane number it's probably something like 10,000 people or something it was it was a really large number of people but it's just really fascinating to hear how much effort they put in to try to create a movie that felt really on brand for 2002 goths you know yeah it really captures the aesthetic of the pop culture vision of that subculture at that time very yeah yeah and like the crossover with the different musical styles and everything i also wanted to say um so aside from akasha being amazing this isn't necessarily an epic moment but every single time i watch this movie i love the scene with the violin girl on the beach and yeah. I love the yeah. music she's playing. Every time I see yeah. it, I just feel so intensely. It's one of the few scenes where I really understand why Lestat feels the way he does. Because I'm looking at her. She's fucking beautiful. And I love the sound of the music she's making. And he joins yeah. her. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're having this connection. You know, like, yeah. it's it's just really an intense moment. And I love that scene so much. And, you know. I, I get I get sad that she has to die. Spoilers. I mean, that's yeah. a really good point because that is a scene where it seems like Lestat is defying Marius and making this connection. Then when he shows off his vampire powers, he goes too far. It causes the girl's father or whoever is with her to tell her to run. Marius is like, we got to kill these people now. And Lestat goes along with it but i think in another context he would have been perfectly happy to be like no this is my friend like we're going to have a relationship i'm gonna befriend these people and be with them and you don't control me and then it just got away from him in the moment yeah i feel like they definitely could have just made music together and marius was like we gotta kill him now and i'm like do you though do you do you i mean do you (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean you guys can just like move wherever marius clearly Seriously. has a lot of resources i mean they can literally fly 
So yeah. they could just go somewhere else. And who's going to believe, like, oh, you saw a guy playing violin really fast? And, I mean, I guess you could probably be branded for witchcraft at that point. In, yeah. In that time period. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. But also they were kind of above that because they're members of the elite. They were lords. They're, they're wealthy. They could just hide in their island chateau and they, probably nobody would ever find them. Yeah. Yeah. Probably true. So yeah, it's it's tragic and heartbreaking and gothic. How fitting for the type of movie this is supposed to be. <laughs> I feel like this would get a lot more stars if you're like a young goth couple trying to make out and half pay attention to a film. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Mm, that's a good point. Well, we'd like to thank you all for joining us on this episode of Scares and Satire. We'll be going back to our regular Swords and Satire next week, but we hope that you join us for the regular time of year, just like you join us for the spooky time. If you enjoyed the show, maybe head on to your podcast app and give us a little rating and let other people know about our program. And if you really liked it, you could either tell your friends about it, and if you have the means, you could uh, head over to Patreon and uh, maybe become a patron of the show. Give us some extra support if you can. And if you do that, we'll give you some extra something, too, in the form of sweet bonus content. That's right. I did not think you were going to say bonus. Yeah, that that was a little bit of a juicy yep. description. <laughs> we'll give you a little extra something in the form of a sweet bonus Bobin. content. <laughs> oh, okay. What kind of it's, bonus it's, content? We're keeping it. And if you're looking to help build the Swords and Satire community, you can check us out on social media at Swords and Satire. Uh, we've got some good memes that are posted weekly on Instagram. And, uh, you know, it's always a good time to come check us out. And if you have any questions, you can email us, too. That's right. At swordsandsatire at gmail.com. Yeah! Booyah! <laughs> well, we'd also like to thank our guest, Casey, for joining us this week. Always a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Yeah, it was fun. Yay! We hope to have you back on soon. Maybe <laughs> next week to talk about a new rewrite for this movie. Yeah. Well, that would be fun. I'm down. All right. Well, then until next time... Hail Crom! There we go. It just works. Huh, Hail Crom.